Um, I'm Jamie. I didn't introduce myself earlier. Heidi and I uh, co-pastor here, and we're taking turns through Advent. So today I'm speaking, and next week she's going to be speaking. So you're going to want to be here for sure and invite all of your friends. No pressure, Heidi. <laughs> no pressure. So instead, we started. We're we're starting our Advent season, and Heidi uh, read with us, read to us this morning quite a bit about Advent, which was really cool. Um, but I wanted to say a little bit more about it. Um, so let's start with this. Has anybody ever seen the Barbie movie? Has anybody watched the Barbie movie? Go, go ahead. Like, you can give a whoop, or there was a slight whoop. Yeah, a slight whoop. Did anybody absolutely hate that movie? Okay. <laughs> you got one. Um, so it's called the Barbie movie. Actually, it's just called Barbie, isn't it? Now that I'm noticing that it's called Barbie. So it's not called the Barbie movie. I wouldn't call this a movie, to be honest with you. I would call it a film. Or if you're from uh, Northern Ireland, a film. Why, I don't know, but that's how they say it there. It's a film, okay? But what's the difference, what do I mean, the difference between a movie and a film? Do you guys understand the difference between a movie and a film? So think about, um, like, if I was to color you a picture of my backyard, that might be, you know, a nice picture, maybe. But if you were to see Rembrandt's, you know, one of Rembrandt's paintings or one of the Dutch masters, that's art, right? So there's a difference between my nice catch for you and real art. And that's what Bar the Barbie movie is. It's, it's art. It, takes, it goes from just being entertainment to actually saying something. And not just saying something, but saying layers of something. So the difference between a film and a movie and art and nice little drawings by Jamie is layers. Right? Every time you watch it, every time you listen, you pay attention closely, there's a new layer added and it makes you think, it makes you process. Why am I talking about Barbie? Not just because it's an idea for a Christmas gift for your husbands, everybody. <laughs> um, it's because Advent is very much just like that. It is a layered celebration of remembering the story of Jesus. We read the story of Jesus every time. Now, I, I got to tell you about I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, I was just like, oh my gosh, it's Easter again. How in the world am I supposed to preach on Easter again? How am I supposed to, uh, resurrection, and then Christmas would come around, I'm like, oh man, I got this birth of Jesus thing. How am I supposed to talk about this? We've been talking about this for two centuries. I mean, what else can we possibly say about these things? What? Two centuries. Millennia. <laughs> if you're new with us today, math is not my strong point. It's just, it's just a zero. That's right, which has no value at all, a zero. Anyway, where was I? Anyway, so we've been talking about these stories for a long time. And, you know, as a pastor, I've been I'm preaching really regularly for pretty close to 20 years. And I read the stories that I'm like, you know, there, there comes a moment in every sermon where I'm like, oh, Jesus, what possibly can I say that's new here? And to some degree, nothing. There's nothing new that we can say about these things, and it's not the point. But on another level, it's layered. And every time we come to the stories, we've grown a year. We've changed. We've had different experiences. We've been kicked around differently. We've experienced wonderful things differently. And every time these things that change us cause us to have new eyes as we look at the story. So we celebrate Advent to begin to see the differing layers of the story of the birth and the coming of Jesus Christ. 
So what is Advent? So Advent itself is it's the beginning of the church calendar. And I don't know if you knew this, but we all have, we, we have a calendar that differs from the rest of the world. It doesn't start in January. It starts in December. We just like to be difficult that way. Um, and what we're doing, though, is we're, we're remembering the whole story of, the, of God and his coming. So we start with the remembering the waiting, that, that we were lost, we were alone, it was dark, uh, we were hopeless, and then Jesus came. And we remember that he came as a baby, and he was born, and he grew, and then he grew to adulthood, and then he started a ministry. So the whole calendar, church calendar, teaches this until we get to the resurrection, and then the Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and after that we call it ordinary time for like six months. It's just ordinary time. Ordinary, everyday life that has been filled with the Holy Spirit, so there's nothing ordinary about ordinary time. So that's the beginning of the church calendar. We begin now. Um, then Advent teaches us, really, about waiting. And I started talking about that. Like, nobody in our culture likes waiting, right? We hate it. It's why, that's why Christmas stuff starts showing up about three weeks before Halloween, right? The pumpkins are getting angry about this. They're like, what do you mean those are Christmas trees? Let's just stay in your lane, you know. The, and, and we're just like, we don't want to wait for Christmas. We want it now. We got one person in our neighborhood who has a Christmas tree up all year round. They just don't even want to wait for next Christmas. They just leave it there. I think that might be different. But like any good pregnancy, right, there is a time of gestation. There is a waiting. Jesus didn't just happen. It didn't just fall out of the blue. That It went through a process. He grew in, in Mary's belly and, and then was born and had to grow into adult, adulthood. There is a long period of waiting that we, we sit through as we wait for Christmas morning. And that is what Advent is about. It teaches us waiting. Waiting, and it's a double waiting. That's kind of the weird thing about this. So it's layered. So there's this first waiting. We remember the waiting of the Israelites, that they, were, they had a nation, and then that, that nation fell. The temple was destroyed. Assyria came in and wiped them out. And then the Babylonians came in and wiped them out again and hauled everybody off, and it was horrible. It was horrible as horrible could be. And in that space, they're waiting because God began to speak through the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Daniel, uh, Haggai, Malachi, all these little weird names that are in the Old Testament. He began to say, hey, something is coming. Something is going to happen. I'm going to send a Savior. And the people of Israel had to wait and wait and wait in long expectation for the Messiah to come, hundreds of years for the Messiah to come. But then he came. That is the good news, right? The Messiah comes. But now we wait. This is the second layer of waiting. Now we wait for his return. We wait for the return of Christ, which seems like a nutty thing to be doing after 2,000 years. There was 2,000 years between Jesus and now. That's two millennia, as I've been recently told, adding a zero to it. People from the outside looking in at the church saying, you're still waiting for, the, for the Jesus to return? You've got to be crazy. It's like you should just give up on that, that prospect. And yet here in the church, we remember the stories, and we remember how long it took for the Messiah to come the first time. We remember how dark the days were. We wait in that space with the Israelites, but we also wait in anticipation of the return of Christ. So Advent has four themes. Four separate themes, one for each week. Isn't it cool how that works out? There are four weeks in December, roughly. It starts maybe in November sometimes, but four weeks before Christmas, and each one has its very own special theme. And here are the themes. Hope, peace, joy, love. So Heidi is preaching next week. Guess what Heidi's going to preach on? Anybody got a guess? Peace. So you want a little peace in your life? You should probably come listen to Heidi next week. She's going to have it all figured out for us. When I, we were sitting and talking about this, that we were going to do this, I, I did had one of those old poop moments 
of that I had to talk about hope. And I was like, how in the world am I going to talk about hope in this day and age with the news, the way we see it? How am I going to talk about that? That's going to be difficult. So I began to process hope. I began to process all of these themes and just some things that I really thought about them that I think are important for us to remember. These, these are really strange words, hope, peace, joy, and love. They're nouns, right? The part you ever do Mad Libs, they're nouns. So if you're ever doing a Mad Lib, you can add one of these in there. But they're not nouns that you own, right? They're, they're a thing, but a thing you can't hold. They're, they're a thing, but a thing you can't touch. In fact, all of them are really difficult to define and to grasp, to get your brain around. If you're trying to logically come at them, it just doesn't work. You can't prove them scientifically. You can't create an experiment that says, oh, here's, here's hope. This is what it looks like and, and you know, show everybody. They don't work that way. They're things that are held by individuals. Like each of you holds hope. Each of you holds joy. Each of you holds peace. Each of you holds love. But it's also shared as a community. As a community together, we have hope. As a community together, we have peace. As a community together, we have joy. It's really bizarre. And then on, on top of all that, they are, it's a feeling, but it goes beyond a feeling. You know what I mean by that? It's like, it's not something you just, oh, I feel joyful today a little bit. It's something you experience down here in your belly. It's a, it's a feeling that happens in your gut that's really hard sometimes to, to, to even describe what you're feeling. It's gritty. It's tenacious. They're, they're earthy words, and they have the, a divine power to them to shape us, to make us different. So each week we're going to look at one of those four words, and hopefully we're going to allow them to shape us a little bit, and hopefully we're going to feel them at the gut level. So we're going to look at the word hope, uh, the scary word to try to talk about. Um, this is a really difficult one to talk about because it's even harder to grasp or to find. I think even our biblical definitions of this are really slippery and like sand. It kind of can just run through your fingers if you don't know what's happening. And I think hope is particularly difficult to talk about in the face of pain and suffering. I know that many of you come today carrying pain and suffering, sometimes mental pain, uh, physical pain, relational pain, um, or you're just watching the news and you're seeing the suffering going on in the world, watching children die, watching families torn apart, watching nations come apart. Um, when we talk about hope, when people are on the edge of hopelessness, it can feel unkind. It can feel mean. Um, I, I've been asked to pray for people for healing before. And it's in those moments where you have this conflict that happens in your heart. You're like, well, I don't want to offer them false hope because God doesn't heal everybody every time. I mean, Jesus didn't heal everybody, but he does heal sometimes. And so we have this hope and we wrestle with this. And we've been critiqued as, as a people. The church has been critiqued saying, oh, to pray for healing is just to offer false hope. But I don't believe that to be true because I believe that there is hope in Jesus. So we're going to wrestle with it. And, and see what God has to say about it. Um, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 in a second, but quick context. Again, Israel has been demolished. I had a picture of a map, and then I lost it, couldn't find it again. Uh, but it was a map of Israel, and all around it was people with uh, swords and spears, and, and you know, it was like showing where all the troops were. And they were physically, literally surrounded by the, the king of Assyria, ready to come in and just haul everybody off. It was hopeless. Uh, the suffering was great. The fall was terrifying. And then Isaiah is going to write some words to the people of Israel uh, 
um, as they're staring at the aftermath of destruction, um, and really it's the destruction of their whole world. They're helpless and they're hopeless. And then Isaiah has the audacity to write this, Isaiah 9, 1 through 9. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice from dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Kind of makes you want to sing it, doesn't it? You guys like hear that in your head? Wonderful. Yeah, I just want to sing it. It is this massive hope that the people that are under oppression, that are under the rule of another nation, that that yoke, that rule will be broken and they would be set free. Free to live, to prosper, to grow, to grow families, to have homes and farms and to build wealth. And that that new, new nation that is born out of this would be ruled not by any ordinary normal person, but by God himself. And that this ruler would be called a wonderful counselor. Not just an okay counselor, not just the counselor you got because that's the one the insurance would cover, but a wonderful counselor. A mighty God. Not just, you know, the God that you have to sacrifice something to, that you have to give something to to receive love. Not a God who is powerless to do anything like wood or stone, but a mighty God that can shape and shake the nations. An everlasting father, not like your earthly father, who may or may not have been kind, who may or may not have been generous with his words of love and affection, and not like a father who eventually grows old and dies, but a father that fathers you and loves you well for eternity, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace, not just a prince who gets his way, not just a prince who wants to wear the shiny armor, not just a prince who enjoys the trappings of royalty, but a prince who brings peace to our hearts, to the nations, and to the world. Psychologists have noted that Americans have lost the core skills that are necessary to navigate a world that is lacking in hope. We've lost the ability to hope. We read these stories, we read these sorts of prophecies, and there is something in us that goes to the critic or to the skeptic that says, well, that was good for them, but really does it mean anything for me today? Hopelessness happens when our expectations aren't met. You guys experience that? I thought my life was going to look like this. I thought because I studied, I'd get this grade on the test. I thought because I did this with my kids, they would grow up and be nice people. But it turns out they're jerks. I don't know why, but they are. Not my kids. 
other people's kids. I'd never say that about my kids. My kids are wonderful. They really are. I like them a lot. I got myself all thrown off there. But you understand what I'm saying. Our expectations, hey, we have this expectation of this is the way life's going to, this is how it's going to go. I'm going to do this degree, get this job, and this job's going to go well, and I'll climb this ladder. And then suddenly something comes out of the corner, and it blindsides us, right? And it's like cancer in the middle of that. Or you got fired, or the, the work downsized, or any number of things come, and they blindside us. And the expectation we had for life that was here is now down here. And what happens is if we hold on to that expectation and we look at it and go, this is not the way life should be, we wind up losing hope that it could ever be that way. In EHR, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, the course we're currently teaching on uh, Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights? Yes, Tuesday nights. I'm looking at my EHR people. What night is it that we meet together? Tuesday nights. One of the things that we talk about is our expectations. What do we do when expectations aren't met? We turn them into hopes. When people fail to measure up, when your life fails to measure up, what you do instead is you turn it into a hope. But we Americans have lost that skill because we've just focused on the expectations. So how are we to hold on to hope when things look so hopeless, when our world looks so hopeless? And what about when we're actually suffering? When, when hope seems the furthest thing from us, how are we supposed to hold on to that? And what even is hope, right? <laughs> like, what even is that? We kind of, I've experienced it, maybe felt it. But biblical hope is a feeling of expectation and a desire for the good promises of God to happen. That's what it means in the Bible to have hope. It's an expectation that God is going to fulfill his promises, but it's also this deep desire that, that bubbles up within us for something good, that God's good promises are going to happen. Humans are made for hope. Even though we live in a skeptical, cynical world that moves away from hope, we were made to hope. And that's exp you, you can experience this. Like, it, you have to like, imagine, this probably never happened to you, but you're stressed, and you stayed awake all night long. You couldn't sleep. You were tossing and turning. And you wake up, and it's like, I don't know, it's in summertime, so probably about 2 a.m., and all of a sudden you notice there's just this like, little bit of glimmer of light coming in under the crack of your window. And that, that glimmer of light tells you that the next day is dawning. It's, it's starting. When we get this feeling, like the sun has already risen in us, that is the sensation of hope, that through the darkest night, when we can't sleep, when we're stressed, that the sun is going to rise the next morning, and there, there will be a new day. A new day will dawn. That is the experience of hope. Biblical hope not only desires for that new day to come, but it expects it to happen, even when it seems hopeless. Hope is a really powerful and stubborn thing. When it's the darkest, just that sliver of light can ignite hope in us, and we dream of warmer days. As we watched it rain yesterday, snow and rain, I was remembering the beach, right? This horrible, horrible weather makes you think of someplace warmer. Real hope doesn't deny the circumstances. It doesn't say it's not snowing outside. It's sunny and warm. It doesn't say, I'm not hurting today. I'm fine. It doesn't deny that life sucks sometimes. But in the face of it, it says, life sucks sometimes. It's okay not to be okay. But nevertheless, I believe something better is coming. And that is the hope of Isaiah. For even those in anguish now something better is coming. 
Even those in deep darkness now, a light is dawning. It's not that the, just that the best is yet to come, but that better and better and better is yet to come. The Paul, Apostle Paul knew something about suffering. I don't know if you guys realize that. He's the guy that wrote a good third of the Bible, maybe a bit more. And he knew something about suffering. There's one passage where he talks about how many times he was beaten, how many times he was shipwrecked, how many times he had been tortured and imprisoned and all these other things. And what you get is this picture of this really old man that has nothing but scars across his back and his hands are unusable. Okay, that's how, well, that's what he knows of suffering. And he says this about suffering. It's crazy. Romans 5, 3 through 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Paul knew that not only are we made to just endure suffering, but that suffering can build something in us, and that something is hope. We can move from hope to actual peace and from peace to joy. They actually build on each other if you think about it. It's really hard to experience peace without hope, right? It's really hard to experience joy without peace. And it's really hard to experience the fullness of love without hope, peace, and joy. That's why they build on each other. And Paul knew that these things grow in us in the midst of our suffering, not, not just because of our suffering or not when we're not suffering, but because of suffering, we can grow in hope. What happens is that hope builds a rev reservoir of emotional strength in us. It's like a tank, right? It's its tank. When we're emptied out, hope is like a tank inside of us. It gives us emotional strength to keep enduring because I believe that this is going to be over. I believe something better is coming. It's something that my soul can draw on when all strength is go gone. Our internal reservoir can get depleted real fast in this world, right? When we're relying on our own strength to do things, when we're rely relying on our own ability to make things happen, it can run out really, really quickly. My capacity as a human being is just not enough to overcome a lot of the challenges that the world is facing. Like, just my emotional reserves alone will not solve the problem in Israel and Palestine. My emotional reserves alone will not solve the political problems that our country faces, and neither will the emotional reserves of the whole Congress and the whole Senate and, and presidents, and no matter who we elect, their emotional reserves are not enough. They have to have hope as well to carry them through the challenges. But hope can give us that strength that we need to face what we need to face. Because I know and expect that God is bringing something better on the horizon. Someday, good things will happen. Wrongs will be made right. That, that where I am feeling lost and my father is gone, I'm going to have an everlasting father. Where I feel like I don't understand how to make sense of the world or my life, I have a wonderful counselor. When I feel anxious and afraid and alone, I have the Prince of Peace fighting for me. So we have this sense of expectation that God is going to be doing something new and a desire for that to happen. But how is that like fleshed out like practically? Well, ec that expectation is expressed in trust and reliance on God. I hate those words. Really do. Have you ever heard a pastor say that? <laughs> I like, hate that word trust. hate that word reliance. Heidi and I were recently talking, and I was like feeling anxious about something. She's like, are you trusting God? I'm like, 
I'm going to throw my shoe at you. That's what I felt like saying. I didn't, and I didn't throw my shoe at her. I've never thrown a shoe at her, at least not in anger. I don't think I've ever thrown it. I'm just like thinking over 20-some-odd years of marriage, 24 years of marriage. I don't think I've ever thrown a shoe at you. Okay, now back to this. But you ever felt that, like the pastor's up front, and one of us is up here speaking, and we're like, you just need to trust Jesus more, people. You just need to trust the Holy Spirit more. And you're like, no, let's all throw shoes at him because that's just unreasonable. It's just unreasonable. It's because it's true. (laughs) That's why it feels so bad. It's true that as the people of God, we need to trust and rely on God in the storms of our life and the times where we feel hopeless, when we're facing hopeless circumstances. We rely and trust in God's presence, Psalms 23, 4. We've been singing this song from Psalm 23. God is my shepherd, I won't be wanting. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. That's hope. It's not that the, the shadow of the valley of death and darkness, whatever that happens to be, doesn't happen to you. It means that you can trust that God is with you, and you can rely on his presence to be following you through the midst of the valley of the shadow of death and darkness. He is present with you. You may not understand the pain of your valley. You may not understand why you have to go through it. You may not even, it may have blown every expectation you have, but what you can trust and rely on and hope in is that God is right there with you. He is right there with you. He is suffering right along with you. He is walking through that pain with you. We can trust and rely in God's provision. Paul also talked about suffering what he called a thorn in his flesh. Like, if you've been around the Bible a little while, this is one of those ones we like to talk about. What does that mean? It was like, Paul, like, I don't know. What, was he addicted to something? What was going on? And Paul, he had this thorn in his flesh that God wouldn't take away from him. It was something that kept him from being conceited, is what he said. But Paul knew that even in this, even in this thorn, that like, God, just take this thing away from me. Take this thing out of me. I don't want to do this thing. I want to do all these other really good things, but I keep coming back to this space. And God doesn't take it away from him, and he knows that even in that, that God is good and can be trusted and was providing for him because he knew that God had grace for him and that that grace was sufficient. It was enough. It was always enough. So no matter what Paul was going through, he could trust that God was going to give him the grace to walk it, give him the grace to hope through it. He trusted and relied on God's grace. And we can trust and rely in God's power. We can remember the Hebrew story of the Exodus, right? They were in a deep darkness, in slavery. They were not free They lived, they died as slaves, and for nothing but work. And they cried out to God, and he heard them. And he rescued them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, is what the story says. And he carried them across the waters. He carried them through the desert and led them into a land of plenty. And he provided for them. And it wasn't because they were good. It wasn't because they worked hard. It wasn't because they were able to fight their, their enemies. It wasn't because they, they had all the power. It wasn't any of those things. It was God's power alone that carried them through. 
And so the Hebrew is now sitting, and after all of these good things that God had given him, they've lost it because Assyria has come in and wiped them out. There's this one lone voice of the prophet Isaiah calling out to the people, remember, remember what he did in the days of old. Remember what God did. Remember the Psalms of David who says, my soul remember and trust in God. He will yet relent. He will come through. He will provide. He is powerful. And they hold on to this hope for a very, very long time. And they're waiting that God is powerful enough to change the circumstances of the world around me. And my circumstances do not change who God is. They do not diminish God's power. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God is strong. So hope, as we learn to trust and rely in God's presence, to trust and rely in God's provision for us, and to trust and rely in God's power to see us through and to bring new days, that's what builds that reservoir of hope within us. Advent is really, it's a time for us as leaders to poke at you a little bit and to bring back to life in you with the Holy Spirit some things that have gone dormant, some things that have fallen asleep in us as we've waited. And this morning, I hope that you'll revive hope. That you'll revive hope that God will come again, that the wrongs will be made right, that the world will be at peace someday. And that there is hope in our circumstances, in our anxieties, in our fear, that there is hope for our children. That as long as that there is time left, there is hope that this world could change. I want to revive hope in you this morning. And so my question for you to consider as we come to the close is this, where do you need a little hope these days? Big, small, global, personal, where do you need a little hope these days? Let's take a minute and just ponder that. This morning we're also going to take communion together. I think communion is maybe one of the most hopeful acts that we celebrate together as a sacrament. We often think of communion as a remembering that Jesus died, 
But that is just a small part of the story. Communion reminds us that God came in the first place, that God put on an earth suit, that God entered into our world. He entered a culture. He entered a family. He entered a trade. He entered into all of these things so he could know and experience what we have walked through every day. From the, just the minutiae, Heidi's got a special word for it. It's the quotidian, like the quintodian. The quotidian things of our day, just getting a cup of coffee to tying our shoes, brushing our teeth, to making our bed, these little things. Jesus understands all of that. And he walked a full life. He lived that life. He taught stories of God. He brought miracles. He brought hope. And then he died, and it didn't end there, that there was new life and resurrection after three days in a grave. It's the whole story of Advent. It's the whole story that we share, and it's a reminder that there is hope, that God came once, and he says and promises, I will come again, and that that day may be not far off for us. The church has held that belief for 2,000 years, that that day may not be far off for us. And it's true. It's not, especially in terms of God. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate and remember the hope of the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ, and remember that he is coming again. And we're going to share that hope with one another because sometimes when we're hopeless, we need the hope of others, right? We need somebody else to encourage us to have hope. And so I'm going to have our, our, our communion servers are going to come up and they're going to serve by aisles. They're going to pass first the bread, and then the cup um, down the aisle. You, you don't have to take it if you don't want to. Just pass it along to the next person. And what I would encourage you to do, though, is as you take and hand it to the next person, say, this is the body of Christ broken for you, just to the person next to you. And then as the, the cup comes, say, this is the, 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 the blood of Christ that was shed for you. And then pass it along, and it's going to go across and then across the middles, and then we'll bring it back up front. And we're going to sing a song as we do. So communion servers, would you guys come up? You need a hand. There's a lot of us. You need to. Audrey and, and Jonas, would you help them? Or maybe just Jonas over there and, and Peter, would you help? That's perfect. So, Father, we thank you uh, that you came, that we aren't waiting for your first coming, but we do sit and we wait for the second coming. And God, we need hope. So, as we share this hope with one another, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, remembering the story. May we be filled with hope again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Come now, long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in Thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth, Thou art dear desire of it.
So this morning I say to you, go and hope. Hope for the second coming of Christ. Hope for coming of Christ to you. Hope for your world. Hope for your family. And above all, knowing that Jesus loves you. If nobody else in this world says it, we will. Jesus loves you. And we will see you next week as we talk about peace. We love you. Go in the grace of the Lord. Feel free to hang out, to get coffee.